Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This isn't just basketball. This is the NBA playoffs. And with William Hill Sportsbook, you can dial up the playoff intensity from the palm of your hand. Just download the William Hill mobile app and your first bet of up to $500 is risk-free using promo code RADIORF. New users only. Must be 21 years or older and present in Virginia to bet. Paid and free bets. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. William Hill Sportsbook. Proud partner of the NBA. Let's make it interesting. Now then, welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, the podcast that looks at the stats, XG and performance of Celtic FC. Celtic are now four games without a win, the first time that that has happened since the year 2000. With seven wins from 20 games, it really has been an abysmal couple of months. Before we get stuck into the games against the unbeatable Livingston, we made a group decision not to discuss Neil Lennon's press conference last week. The less said about that, the better. And instead, we're going to let the football pass the judgment on him. And the last two performances can say a lot more than we ever could. Juco James and Alan Morrison, hello. Howdy. Hello, hello. So, unbeatable Livingston, 10 games unbeaten <laughs> in the league. And Celtic just cannot seem to get the better of that damn Livingston. Nil-nil uh, against Celtic in Celtic Park. Pretty dismal display. Just watching that, I was banging my head off the wall. It was really, really like impossibly bad to describe i think that's fair <laughs> i would struggle to refute that with any data i'll be honest with you um and listen you know we, some people might think why are you talking about the nil nil uh it was a very different set of circumstances a very different team etc but i think it's important to really be honest about, with ourselves about where celtic are at the moment and you know also in adversity is really where you do earn your money as a coach, as a manager, in terms of how did Celtic deal with the adversity of losing all those players. Something I don't have a lot of sympathy with, obviously, because of the circumstances, but also because, end of the day, the, the, you know, the team that was on that pitch and the, and the players that were available are, are you know, vastly superior to uh, the resources of, of, of a club like Livingston and, and you know, virtually all the, all the rest of the league as well. So you know, Celtic should have been able to put up a, a decent showing uh, in, in that game. But yeah, Livingston, what an enigma, right? I mean, they've got an ex-con manager. I mean, that guy, he did serious time for serious crime, by the way. And, uh, you know, he got into football as a volunteer. He's never managed a professional club in his life and is now unbeaten. And uh, fielded two completely different teams against Celtic using completely different systems. And uh, although he, I, I would, I, James will cover the 2-2 the, the game from last night, but absolutely got the better of Celtic uh, in the nil-nil game. I mean, just the just the bold expected goals. You know, I think it was point seven nine to Celtic versus one point two, so a differential of just over you know point four in Livingston's favour for that nil nil. Now, to put that into context, if you look at last season uh, when obviously Celtic won the league, uh, their Celtic's average expected goals for and against in home games in the SPFL was over three goals for and uh, 0.64 against. That differential of 2.4 is massive. But that's that's the standard Celtic normally, you know, last season hit against all SBFL opposition. And two point, a variance in two, of 2.4 in expected goals is actually, you know, in most cases enough to, to 
mitigate against odd things happening like a sending off or a dodgy penalty decision or what, or what have you. With with a 2.4 expected goals differential, you're going to win pretty much uh, in nearly all your games. So to go from that kind of differential to uh, we're, we're actually the differential this season is is, is actually just about one. Uh, and but but now you know to go to a minus against a team like Livingston is 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 in itself poor. But but really, if you again, if you look at some of the other um, sort of stats from the game, and and just the extent to which Livingston were allowed to play exactly the way that they wanted to play, which you know those of us probably not probably not end up, but those of us that are old enough to remember, you know the uh, the the Harry Bassett Wimbledon team from the the late 80s, early 90s, and, you know, they won the Cup in 88. Dennis Wise, Vinnie Jones, uh, you know, Sanchez and uh, Eric Young and all those kind of guys. Um, that's pretty much how Wimbledon played, to be honest. It's, you know, get into positions on the field where you can launch balls into the box and then you really see what happens, right? And and if you're imposing yourself physically, um, then, you know, you've, you've got a chance. They had 21 touches in the box, only Lille and Sparta have had higher than that in any game Celtic have played this season. Yeah, they, they they actually had ten passes into the danger zone. The danger zone being that corridor from the goal out to the edge of the penalty box, which is a good place to have the ball to get into scoring opportunities. Ten passes into the danger zone is the, is the highest any club has has achieved against Celtic. They won sixty nine aerial challenges. Now remember, their front three was no more than five foot six. Right? <laughs> we weren't playing against John Fashionu here, or or even Lyndon Dykes. You were playing against Scott Robinson, and I'll come on to Scott Robinson in a minute because to compare Robinson's performance as a midfielder playing as a striker with Rogic's performance as a midfielder playing as a striker is is pretty telling. So with a front three who you know very similar in stature to Celtic's front three in terms of physicality and size. They managed to absolutely impose themselves on the game. Scott Robinson actually won a header in the six-yard box from a from a set play. I mean, that's ridiculous. He's, he's literally five foot six. So, they, and they didn't do this through obviously silky football, right? They they completed I think twenty-six pack passes, taking players out of the game, fourth lowest of any game this season. Uh, they weren't bothered. They were just lumping the ball forward. They gave away one hundred and twenty. Passes. They just wanted to. Basically, they wanted to, uh, you know, get themselves into a position where Celtic were forced to to clear the ball out, and they could then get a throw in. And then the lad on the left, especially what was his name, Leo DiCaprio, they had the guy with a ponytail, was just launching balls into the box. And actually, you know, they had what was it now? I'm just struggling to see the number of throw-ins they had. Thirty-seven throw-in passes is ten more than any other team has achieved, and most of those were in Celtic's half. So they, they absolutely imposed themselves on Celtic. Celtic Celtic cleared the ball 42 times. Now, you might think clearances is like, what a boring stat that is. Clearances, what does that tell you? In this context, it tells you quite a lot. A clearance, to me, is a proxy for you're putting a team under pressure. You're putting a team under pressure, they're not passing the ball out from the back. They're just lumping it out, right? It's not a, and I'm going to try and find you. It's literally, I've got the ball and I'm just hoofing it just to get it out the danger zone. That's generally what, that's how I would you know, classify a clearance, and that's how I judge it. Average for Celtic last season would have been 16 clearances a game. This season, it's gone up to 20, 42 clearances. And that, that, what that shows is two things. One is the amount of pressure that Livingston were applying to the Celtic back line, the high press. And then the second is you know, Celtic's inability uh, to play out from the back and to actually resist that pressure and actually break that initial line and get the ball into McGregor and Turnbull. Who, who the only control Celtic ever had in that game was when McGregor and Turnbull were, were, were on the ball. So, uh, but the other thing that it highlights, and, and this is the sort of last thing I want to come on to, is just the sheer, to me, the sheer physical desire of the Livingston team to press Celtic, the physical effort they were putting in. Robinson, right, he, was, he got absolutely smashed by Duffy time and time again. Every aerial ball that went to Robinson, he, he not only did he lose the header, he got absolutely smashed physically. And he kept going up for it every time because what was happening was every time Duffy went up for the ball, Robinson would lose would lose the challenge, obviously, and, and, take, and take a hit. But he caused enough disruption that the second ball was just a mess. Could have gone anywhere, right? Contrast that with Rogic. Rogic literally didn't even jump for the ball. He doesn't jump for the ball. He didn't make any physical effort 
to, to put into the challenge. Now, okay, you're not a good header of the ball, but you're six foot two. You can mess players up. You can back into them. You can get your elbow into their ribs. You can make it uncomfortable with them. So is that the second ball, you might have a chance of winning, and then you, you, break, you play from there. That's what they were doing. These little guys that they had were just messing people up and just, just through sheer physical endeavour. And the counterpoint I'm going to come on to is I just didn't see that physical endeavour from Celtic. I mean, mm-hmm. jo- Johnson is, is just, you know, he, he, his head went down the first time he got whacked. You know, you know, Rogic just doesn't, you know, the second time he got whacked, his face, he just didn't want to be there. His body language is appalling. And, and Frimpong, you know, really struggled to, get, to impose himself on the game as well. Those front three just couldn't impose themselves in the same way that these very limited players, technically, that Livingston have got, were able to do. And I'm kind of straying into the cliche about, oh, they wanted it more, they put in more effort, which I kind of hate because show me the stats, right? But what I'm, what I'm trying to show here is that the circumstantial evidence and the secondary data does tend to lead you into that uh, direction. Now, if we had the if we had the GPS data and the the, the running stats and meters covered and an intensity of sprints, I'm pretty sure it would show that as well because that's what the eye I think told us. Yeah. So I, so sorry. Yeah. Go on, Andrew. No, I, I I don't want to look at that GPS data. Yeah. The point I'm trying to make is I, I'm very nervous about, and I don't want to get into these cliches about oh they wanted it more because this, this is about analyzing performance in in you know in I think a better way than that in actually looking at data. But uh, but as I say, the circumstantial and the secondary data all points in that direction, and and I don't care that it was a depleted squad. That is unacceptable. So, uh, Alan, as you were going through the clearances data. Um, it struck me of the irony of the narrative that part of the reasons that we needed to sign Duffy was to be able to handle, you know, physical strikers like let's call it a Dykes. And, and, you know, that was derived largely from the performances versus Livingston last season. And then the Kabamba episode against Komarnik uh, with, with Julian. And the irony of this is uh, Duffy finally got, a game where his skill set actually <laughs> suited uh, where Livingston dominated us <laughs> and bombarded our box. Uh, I mean, it's just incredible that everything you just recited there. And, and I, I, I don't want to steal your thunder. You'd made a comment on Twitter. And, and before we started here about, <clears throat> it's almost like a Ross County opponent. Um, with, with, yeah. That that was really the level of Celtics' output in that game was almost like Livy was playing Ross County. I had so and, much, oh, so much doom and gloom to impart there, James. You, 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 you're absolutely right for reminding me that if you want to, if you look back at Livingston's recent run, okay, of games, this unbeaten run that they've gone on, and you look at the the expected goals data, and you look at the shot data. This was actually one of the most one-sided games that they've had in that run. The, the, the numbers were akin to when they beat Ross County 3-1. That's what I meant by that. The expected yeah. goals yeah. and the number of shots generated for and against was pretty much what, what happened when they beat Ross County 3-1. We may as well have been watching Livingston play a bottom-of-the-table team. Yeah, well, so my, my tongue-in-cheek comment is that we had a clean sheet because of Duffy against Livingston. So that's, that's a... <laughs> It was worth it, wasn't it? <laughs> the whole the whole ordeal this season's worth it. But, so, see, but actually, he won. He did win a lot of challenges because he was up against a guy that was five foot six. But but what then happened is he, the other the other aspect of his uh, his play was shown into sharp relief, which is his distribution. Oh, of course. You know, he, yeah. he, he, you know he gave away eleven passes for a centre back. That's that's ridiculous. Centre back should be around 96 percent pass completion, not seventy five percent, right? <laughs> yeah it was um it was a mixed we'll, we'll call it a mixed performance from Shane Duffy <laughs> in that uh, Celtic no no let's move on to the 2-2 uh, away to Livingston in the snow uh, Kieran Brown got the first goal for Livingston before El Unissi equalised from a corner <laughs> and then uh, Callum McGregor with a lovely assist for near Beaton but near Beaton was about five yards offside. No, that's that's being dramatic. It was it was at, at least a yard a yard and a half offside. And then Emmanuel Thomas uh, scored the equaliser for Livingston before the end of the end of the game after Scott Brown's red card. So one thing that I know that you want to touch on here, James, and one thing that we should touch on is where Celtic were playing most of their football uh, in this game because one thing Neil Lennon said after the game 
was that we worked the ball into good areas during the game. So is that true? Is that necessarily true, what he said? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> so I haven't, honestly, given the, the timeline here, I haven't had a chance to rewatch the game. And to be honest, I don't think I'm going to rewatch that one. It was too brutal. Um, so I, I don't rewatch every single game. I'll, I'll probably pick out some cuts and take a look. But uh, so I it, it may be on the YouTube version of the show here, uh, and I might throw up a couple of these heat maps. But um, one of the observations I've had for some time under Lennon, and it's I, I actually wanted to query Alan on this. So w- one of the things I've noticed is we, we've just lacked uh, central presence. I mean, you talk about that danger corridor from the, the goal line out to the 18, kind of encapsulate inside the six-yard box lines. Um you know, what I like to do is extend that out all the way to the midfield circle and think about, you know, how much possession do we have centrally in that corridor? Uh, and, I, you know, why Scout had the, the system as as uh, four four two diamond? I don't think it was. I mean, I, when I look at the heat maps, it looks like it was a four kind of, you know, again, I, I speculated before the game, it might be a four three three four two three one or a mess. And I think it was a mess. <laughs> um, when I look at the heat maps, th- there's no central presence. Even and and one of the heat maps I shared with you guys that we can maybe put up was uh, Turnbull's performance against Hamilton um, at Hamilton. So again, another plastic pitch in the three nil on on I think it was Boxing Day, and he had a lot of central presence outside of the eighteen, kind of roaming as you would think a number ten would. And regardless of whether it was four four two diamond or let's call it four two three one, if he's the nominal number ten, the, his heat map from this game, he's nowhere near central locations. He's, he's kind of wide right, wide left. Uh, Christie and um, uh, Elianusi were more like wingers; they were wide. Uh, McGregor was way out wide left. Uh, you know, it's almost like some of the same problems that we had when we were tilted left, uh, where the ball would all go outside to Taylor, um, you know, earlier in the season. And it, it, the thing that to me is is pretty remarkable. I mean, I, I monitor this um, pretty regularly and it might be confirmation bias because I focus in on it um, through through Brown's playing period the last couple of seasons. But it, it's been typical that Brown would be open centrally. And uh, the the center backs or the full backs don't play him in. And, you know, from a risk reward perspective, that might be a smart decision (laughs) Uh, because, you know, usually Brown doesn't do much with the ball centrally uh, other than just kind of pass it sideways or back again. Soro's not that. And, you know, when I watch Soro move to get open into space, he's pretty regularly, you know, in space where if you play him in, he can do something, either beat someone on the dribble uh, distribute the ball, you know, not backwards. Uh, and I think, I mean, his passes received centrally. I think he only had five forward passes yesterday. Um, and and I think he only had two or three, uh, what, what Alan would call pack passes or progressive passes. Uh, so when we've seen the, the diamond work, we've had a lot of central presence. We've had midfielders and Soro dominating the ball centrally. Um, and possession centrally, and then that's leading to, you know, better scoring opportunities. And you know, as we a, a, a derivation of that is xG. Uh, and yesterday was like a, a reversion, where we had almost no possession centrally. Everything was out on the wings. And again, if you think about, you know, um, I mean, Griffiths is not the striker to be lumping crosses into, for the most part. Um, and I, I thought his performance was pretty awful. Shock, shocker, uh, 10 days off and Lee Griffiths isn't necessarily at peak form um, coming into the game. So, you know, again, from a system perspective, I, I couldn't make sense of what we were trying to do once again, mm-hmm. um, which, again, isn't shocking based off of what Alan talked about in the nil-nil where, you know, and that that's really been the stress test of Celtic this season has been any time – you know, things kind of go wrong or or um, we need tweaks tactically or to, to do to do something responsive when things aren't yeah. working. I, I just I didn't see any of that again yesterday. And again, the subs were just unbelievable. So, so just coming on the, the tactical side, uh, James, I think 
again credit has to be given to the nine the nine game manager here um the way the way he'd set up livingston he had three very narrow center backs and then it looked like it was going to be a it said at the beginning three five two but it wasn't they had hamilton up front and then the two wide players who was emmanuel thomas who got to be one of the worst footballers i've ever seen in my life and uh, greg taylor was like I've, fi- I've finally got an opponent up against me who's way slower than I am. I've got to have a field day today. But anyway, they had Emmanuel and Thomas and, and, and Forrest were giving them uh, a sort of wide presence. But when they lost the ball, those two players kind of filtered Tucked back. In, and, it, yeah. and it became a 3-6 because the, they actually had four quite tight in the middle. So I think credit to um, Martindale, who would, would have probably have guessed that Celtic would have gone back to the diamond uh, with with the squad now being more intact, and he basically packed that midfield. And I, but 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 I agree with you in terms of the Celtic shape wasn't obvious. It wasn't obviously set up to be that diamond. Christie was really wide, and he never really came in. Um, and and McGregor was fairly wide, and therefore, like you say, there wasn't that connectivity, the ability to play those quick, uh, sharp passes. Which which having those um, those six skillful players in physically close proximity the diamond gives you that um because El Yunusi was wandering Griffiths positionally he tends to drift as well didn't have that central focal point and the midfielders weren't as connected as they have been when that diamond has previously been implemented well, but I think but I think some of that's down to how how um how, uh, how Livingston sorry was I, I I agree with that and I understand that. I get this is where again my my relative um naivete such things this is why I wanted to to, to query you on it Alan is you know, just fundamentally and conceptually, um, you know, that that was a really a reserve Livingston side to a degree. I mean, he he dropped seven players in, in advance of their cup semifinal this weekend. So the idea that a, a Livingston reserve team, regardless of how they set up, would be dictating play to us, you know, th- this was not our reserve team. Right, I, 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 I agree with you on in the nil-nil game. That even shouldn't happen in that game, <laughs> uh, and and they did dictate play to us in that game. But the 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 reality of them forcing us out of our quote-unquote game under any circumstances, to me, is mystifying. Uh, and and to the point where again, if I look at um, you know one of the the uh, pieces of data I like to look at, particularly with those forward players and the central players is how many times they lose possession in a game. And, you know, uh, in a game against, let's say, uh, you know, Rangers in December 29th last year, where, you know, they played narrow, and we had real trouble, and we kept trying to play centrally, but we kept losing possession. That's reflected in the data. Like we, we were, you know, bashing our head against the wall, trying to force things and not, you know, achieving it. That was not the case yesterday. I mean, our, our lost possession stats, somebody like Turnbull, um, you know, we, we we weren't losing possession trying things centrally is my point. So we, El, we basically... Ellie Nissi, sorry. Well, yeah, he, right, <laughs> to a degree. And, and he's the only um, player other than Griffiths, and Griffiths was largely a ghost. I mean, he, he hardly touched the ball uh, in open play. Um Elianissi was the only one that had some central presence. If you look at his heat maps, yeah. it wasn't a lot, but it was, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of the same area that he usually gets into, which has always been the issue with him and Edward in that kind of, you know, left half space outside the eighteen. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've done twenty minutes of the game in terms of capturing data, so not representative of the whole game, obviously. But what what struck struck me about Elianissi was. You know, the, the, some of his some of his real key attributes were, were, were in real obvious in the sense of you know he's combative. Him and Christie have got the best challenge win rates amongst all the midfielders apart from the defensive ones. So that and that that was in that was in evidence. And he was available. He was open, right? He was available for forward passes. It's just that when he got the ball, he just gave it away. You know, in yeah. twenty minutes, he'd given the ball away in the final third six times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, and then you know, he had that moment when Griffiths was open, and he just had to shuffle it left to Griffiths. Uh, uh, literally, you know, just not dwell on it, and 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 he and he kind of you know butchered that that opportunity as well. So it's such a mixed bag. You know, he's combative. He gets into great positions. His movement's good. He's open. Incredible know. finisher. That that and, goal and, and, was what an amazing when, when finish. He fin- when he finished, yeah, agreed. Yeah. But he just he just is 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 Anthony Stokes level decision making on the ball sometimes in the final third is just 
gives it away so many times. Yeah, and I, I did a video a couple of days ago basically following on from James's uh, comment about the clear out that Celtic need to do and I essentially took out all the players who would be probably leaving at the end of the year and went over the skeleton of what we have. We still had four number 10s at the end of this year if we make a decision, if, if we sell players. And it, we're, we definitely don't seem to be playing to those strengths. We still, even against a team like Livingston, who were set up that the only way or the best way to approach the game is getting the ball out wide and stretching them as much as you can. But even in the games that we're not playing against Livingston, when teams are there for the taking in the midfield, we still don't play through the centre, even though we have the best number 10s in the league. Well, I, I, would, I would disagree. I think, you know, that run of games where we introduced that diamond, we did actually see that. Cause, and and, and it had a, it, not only did we see that in terms of the connectivity. Between... To make America's craft wine, you've got to make it like America. Bold, ambitious, unconventional. Crushing grapes like our forefathers crushed kings. So grab a bottle of America's craft wine, like our Lodi Cab with bold berries and tart cherry. The Honest Red Blend with plums and blackberry, a juicy Zinfandel, or a smoky bourbon barrel aged. Pour it in a glass and go forth, because there's history in the making. The Federalist, America's craft wine. Federalist Vineyard, Lodi, California. Enjoy responsibly. Between, you know, McGregor, Turnbull, Christie, Edward, I would say, is a, is a proxy 10 as well. They're, they're, these are four players who all know how to play number 10. And they were connecting, and we were winning the games, and we weren't conceding chances either because we were control we had control and we had solidity mm-hmm. so even if play broke down that diamond shape is pretty solid in the middle so you could break wide but you weren't going to break um through the center which is most dangerous so i, I and i think lennon was right to persist with it but like, i think to james's point this one of the persisting themes we keep coming back to and we talk about the same things every every week because of it is this failure to react if things aren't going well how do you change him? The simple thing that occurred to me on the the nil nil game was that you know, midway through the first half, when Rogic had given the failed to hold the ball up and given it away for the fifth time under challenge, I'd be thinking, do you know what? Ten minutes, Turnbull Rogic just swap, right? Rogic, you play your natural game. Turnbull, you you've got a good first touch. You, you're you're six foot. You, just try it for ten minutes. What harm is it going to do? It can't be any worse. Something mm-hmm. might happen. At least try it, right? Just something. When it's going bad, you've got to, every game. No, who, who makes the first sub? Not Celtic. You know, the momentum's gone. We haven't we haven't completed a pack pass for ten minutes. We haven't had a shot for twenty. Do we change it? No. Let's wait another five. That's that that theme is there, and it was evident in both games actually. Defensively, in this game, obviously conceding two goals is disappointing. Again, another set piece. Uh, Christopher Ryer this time switching off and not picking up his, his man at the far post. It, couldn't have been an easier finish for him in the end really it was a header from like six yards out or just the penalty spot so and he had a clear open goal to do it James what was the defensive uh, performance like what or in terms of the data was it as bad as it looked yeah so actually uh, from a defensive performance perspective I mean we uh, from a chance uh, creation perspective Livingston didn't really do anything from open play other than the second goal um, and that was based off of, you know, I think it was Christie that missed the tackle and let the guy um, kind of have a free walk. I think it was, uh, I'll call him Hippie Boy. You were calling him DiCaprio. I, I think his name was Brown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he played a good game. I mean, he scored and yeah, then he had that yeah. cross. I mean, it, yeah. you know, we, we made him look like, uh, you know, a world beater. Um, but yeah, I think I think their XG was sub 0.5. So you know, again, as far as benchmarking home games, as Alan had said, that that's, you know, that's a decent level of suppression of chance creation. And, um, you know, with only one of them really coming from open play of significance, that's not too bad. So, um, you know, it was kind of your point, and it's it's uh, um, a free header from six yards <laughs> is, you know, from from a from a free kick from just inside uh the midway line, the halfway, halfway line. I mean, that's just an incredible ineptitude. Um, 40 yards that ball traveled. In yeah. Straight, I mean, pretty much in a straight line. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's literally schoolboy stuff is honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, credit to uh, their Brown, I mean, you know, it was a good header. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was a good finish uh, by uh, Allen's favorite player. 
<laughs> the jets, good old jets. <laughs> a player, uh, yeah. But but that's you know, <laughs> this comes back to what Alan was saying about you know that that two point four differential in XG at home last season, and that being wide enough to kind of be resilient and robust uh, to variance. And so, um, you know, that that's these. This is an example where you had a, a team with not a lot of chances score two goals. And, um, you know, I would argue in a, in a season long, um, you know, I've, I've said this so many times, I'm a broken record this season as a one-off yesterday wasn't horrific, you know, to, to have a, a 1.2 XG differential and get a draw at Livingston, giving their form, given their form where they're at in the league table, you know, t- we weren't going to go 38 no this season, most mm-hmm. likely. Uh, with no draws. So in the grand scheme of things, yesterday's, uh, uh, you know, as a one-off w- w- is not, you know, a, a horrific development. It's contextually, um, given everything else, it's that's where, you know, the the, the things stack up and pile up. And it's, it's a confirmation bias thing where you just yeah. say, you know, b- because we've given up so many free kicks this season, and, you know, this was a horrific one where I just let a guy go. Um, you know, you're going to give up goals in the season. You're going to have games against inferior opponents where they don't create a lot of chances and score a couple of goals. Yeah, but, uh, gonna, but those individual mistakes, like you say, will happen. Tom Boyd made an interesting point on the Celtic TV commentary. He said that, you know, in his day before they changed the offside uh, interpretation, um, you, you would literally drop off your the player that you were marking just as the ball came in. So you give yourself that moment, that, se- that millisecond to react to whatever happened. You can't do that now because they can they can stand offside and then come onto an onside position. So it, it makes it a more confusing picture, and I get that. If you actually watch the goal carefully, um, Brown has got himself between Ayer and El Yunisi on the back post. And Brown actually, uh, El, sorry, Ayer, um, makes a gesture to El Yunisi. I don't know whether he's telling El Yunisi to pick Brown up or not, but given the the number amount of traffic in front of Ayer, I would have thought it would have been Ayer's job to pick up one of the three centre backs. Really, Luc, right. whatever Ayer said to him, did nothing. Well, there's there, I, there's no language I, excuse there. They're both Norwegian, so we're not. Well, there you go. <laughs> Good point. Well, um, but 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 I, but Ayer, Ayer has his back to Brown as the ball comes in. Now we can stress every single goal. And, and I'm just pointing out that out because you know that, that you, you can look at it to that detail if you want to. But I come, but actually I come back to um, if you keep if, if individual players make mistakes throughout a season, you sort of go, well, that has happened. That's football. That happens. It's normal. But when it happens every single game, every single week, and, and it happens multiple times during a game, that's not individual players. Okay, that's a fundamental failure to have a system and a communication protocol and a framework. That everyone understands and knows their jobs. It's fundamental. Yeah. And, it, it, uh, sorry, I was going to say, and if, uh, I'm going to steal your thunder here and, and uh, raise a topic. You, you may pr- maybe have it next as a bullet point, but the substitutions then were just Ugh. incredible. Um, you know, the the idea of you know we really needed a goal and to take Ire off and leave Duffy on. Um, I mean, I could get the theory of bringing Frimpong on. Um, but the fact that it was Iyer that came off and not Duffy, and uh, again, I I don't have any problem with bringing Soro off. And it, this comes back to a conversation that Alan and I and I have had for ages, which is you know when we're against inferior teams, I still don't necessarily even think there's a, a requirement to have a quote unquote Soro in the game, meaning that you know that shielding defensive midfielder. Um, particularly when we're chasing a goal. So to then double that down and to have an inferior shielding midfielder come on for your shielding midfielder and why you don't drop McGregor into that role and put on a more attacking player as an, you know, whether it's Henderson, whether it's, you know, obviously in Cham, it, it rumored to be the, the player out with, uh, with, with COVID potentially. Um, so it, again, I just, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, I, I, I get there's an argument from the start of the game as to whether you want to take that risk. And I think there's you know re- reason for room for honest debate on that, but um, particularly away at Livingston versus home. But, you know, within that context of having what 15 minutes to go or 12 minutes to go or whatever it was 
and needing a goal to make those subs that way. I, I just, mm-hmm. wow. Well, Ayer actually had a pretty good chance in the first half as well. And it, it, it shows you, he makes those bursting runs into the box. Shane Duffy doesn't. And Ayer has the ability, football-wise, to take those chances. He didn't on, on that occasion. I know Stephen Kenneth on Twitter did get in touch with us talking about the subs, and he, he was in agreement. They were just baffling from the, the night before. One, one thing on your point about sorrow, I completely agree, because if you think about the way Livingston play, they're not playing through the centre. You don't need that cover there. And what you can do is you can replace Sorrow, like you're saying, with a ball-playing midfielder, and you can drag them out of position by playing the ball through the middle. That's how you get your advantage in midfield, not by spreading the ball wide. If that's not working, you put a ball-playing midfielder into the middle and you play little triangles, drag them inwards, then you go outwards and they're out of position. It's really basic stuff. It like it, it really is. And it just it's baffling to me that nobody has seen this. Hmm. Or if they're seeing it, they're not acting on it. There's, there's, a, there's a piece to, I know I keep promising to do this now, and I, I will do it, around the analysis of substitutions, you know, from a statistical perspective in terms of the timing and the impact, because Sky Sports flashed up that stat last night about Celtic have scored 10 goals from substitutes this season, and then immediately everyone will go, well, Celtic are really effective at making substitutions, which is such a bad use of data, right? And it's, it's, it's akin to me of flashing up, this, uh, flashing up the data that says, um, you know, uh, the goalkeeper for um, Sheffield United has made 10 saves in a game. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah, plays for the worst team. Right? Can, like... can I just interrupt you there, Alan? Because yeah. I've I've been in the production room for a TV right. uh, production of a football match for Champions League. And literally what that is, is um, Celtic are making a sub. It's 80 minutes in. The director of the, the football says to the producer, we need to find out how many uh, goals Celtic have scored from substitutions. Yep. The researcher who's getting paid £10, 10 uh, pound an hour to be there is frantically searching on transfer market or whatever yeah, search yeah, engine they use. No, no it, 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 it's it's no not them analysing at all. It is just them, all right, yeah, we need to find this out really quickly. But the, but the more serious point is like, Number one, Celtic, even even this season, score more goals than every other team. So they're going to have more goals from subs. Number two, they've probably got the better subs than any other team this season. The, 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 what I want to look at is is to what extent you know um, substitutions change or don't change games. And the way the, the methodology, I think, probably needs some thought. But what I'm thinking is, you know, what was the kind of XG pattern before the substitution? What was it after? What was there, or what was the chance creation pattern before and after? Did that substitution? Act actually uh, make a positive or negative change because I when I, in my notes that I take when I'm watching these games um the second time um I I've noted so many times where and I use, and this is what I used to do when I was in grassroots football and in teams that have helped out as well is one one of the one of this was one of the value adds I feel I I gave was I could sense when I guess you'd call it when momentum had swung or when things maybe slowed down when things had gone quiet when when passes you weren't breaking lines anymore or it just looked like there was a couple of weaknesses appearing defensively and things were perhaps turning and you hadn't been in trouble before but now you're looking like you might be Rogers and Rogers and actually I think his assistant Davis was fantastic at this they could almost see a problem before it had materialized into a real issue and they dealt with it by making changes um that the, the, we don't do that and it's absolutely glaring to me but I need to find a way to statistically show that because okay. I'm absolutely sure it's the case. Well, when you do that piece, we will absolutely <laughs> talk about that instead of talking about Celtic drawing with Livingston two games in a row because that's vastly more interesting. It does make me sad when I watch the Premier League now and Brendan Rodgers is coaching Leicester to the top of the table for, albeit, a night and a half. And then Kieran Tierney's already slotted in to be the, the best left back in the league. It just, it, it's uh, it's completely jealous, but jealousy, but what what can you do? Um, the, end is, the, end, the serious point to that as well is that it, it does show you the quality of players Celtic have, you know, your McGregor's, your Forests, your Nchams, your Edwards, they're all of that kind of standard. Yeah, you know? listen, even even Stuart Armstrong, who I would have considered not not the best midfielder in that Celtic team that he played in, and he he's starting for Southampton, are doing brilliant this year as well. So it's it's all about coaching and how well Absolutely. that that is that is happening. Well, That's what I, makes I, it more blatantly obvious to me. As, as a uh, pretend uh, hobbyist in the analytics community, I wanted to give a shout out to Jack Lyons, uh, who was who was name dropped by Madison in his interview uh, after the Leicester game, 
he, he was the former analyst at Celtic that, uh, that Rogers brought in. Um, so, you know, some pride for the Scottish, uh, analytics community and making it to, to the top level as well. And just for the record, Jack stayed at the club for the full season. He didn't leave with, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> with Rogers in, in, uh, in, in February. So, you know, some pride for, for, uh, another, uh, Celtic, uh, supporter getting to the top, top level. And listen, James, there's a serious point there as well, because a couple of people who have been in touch on YouTube or in the comments on Twitter have they who don't believe in the data anal- analytics and don't believe that it's you, you watch football with your eyes. That's that's what happens. It's it. This this is modern football. But the anal- analytics side is as important as as a lot of things these days. And uh, James Madison showed it there because he he, he was a footballer who didn't really understand what he had to do to score more goals and they had a coaching ticket smart enough there and an analytics team smart enough there that they were able to say right if you do this and we will get players into a different position you will score more goals and it came to fruition that's how valuable this thing is well and one one of the uh buzz uh stories this week in the analytics community was uh um uh man city has a dedicated uh arm in, in research and development for all of their clubs. I forget how many they have under their umbrella. Um, but they, they hired one of the prominent uh, academics in the space who from Harvard, uh, who's an astrophysicist. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the level of intellectual firepower that's being thrown at this space uh, fr- from the biggest clubs is, is remarkable. Um, and, you know, all the way down through, you know, analytically, meaning that obviously he's controlling things and building an infrastructure, but that that research and development and the analytics that's then permeating down through the coaching staff, the players. Um, I mean, that's the level of um, competition that that Celtic and you know Scottish clubs in general are going to face increasingly within a European football context, and um, you know, f- former players or you know guys that have their a badge or whatever badge you might have that that's a different animal you know coaching's important you know there's different domains of expertise and skill sets here um that that's not a, a theoretical physicist or an <laughs> an astrophysicist <laughs> those, those are different fish um so it, it it's it, it it's uh an important area to consider when when we keep talking about this analytics space as far as the level of resources and and firepower that uh, that clubs are throwing at this. Hamilton up next week. Is there anything you just want to touch on before we finish up? <laughs> to be endured. <laughs> yeah, you know it, it, it's. I, I do. The only other thing I want to come back to is I. I, I don't. Um, I, you know, the the selection on the striker side um, has continued to to vex me. And and it even vexed me last season when when they went to uh, Edward and Griffiths, uh, and I I I had a thesis and I I kind of stand by it at this point that a lot of Griffiths' output was a, a derivative of the system and the the quality of opponent last season, uh, meaning that I, I I still am um, uncertain that that's some great partnership between Edward and Griffiths. Uh, more so that we're getting a better structure against inferior opponents. And, you know, when Edwards firing and you have uh, McGregor firing as an attacking eight and the other thing that's missing that was there last season, which was the creativity of Encham as an attacking eight over Christie. Uh, when you have that network effect, I think that really put Griffiths in a position to have a lot of output, which he did to his credit in that environment. Um, but that he hasn't been as productive when he's played this year. He's been okay, uh, and I just wonder how much of this is due to, you know, again him being in a good position relative to opponent and the other players he's playing with. Long-winded way of me saying I'd like to see a jetty get a run um, if we keep persisting with this four-four-two diamond, and and particularly with Edward, you know, that would be my my wish list is to get, uh, you know, some exposure from a jetty to see, because I think his profile, that's why I was excited when we signed him. I thought his hold up play and his physical profile of being a box striker 
you know, someone that's actually advanced, putting pressure on the center backs. You can play it into feet and he can, you know, physically um, battle a, a center back where, I mean, we saw, I don't, I don't even know how many times Griffiths didn't possess the ball. You know, he, he was tried to play in last night. And again, it was tough, tough pitch, tough circumstances, but you know, that's not really his game to begin with. Um, so that's, I, I probably won't see it cause I hardly ever get to see what I want, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, that would be the one iteration that I'd like to see, assuming that Edwards, uh, yeah. knee is okay. And, and then he, he plays this. Let's, let's get to see a jetty paired with him. Cause I think we've only seen that once this season, which is absolutely remar- remarkable considering that we literally brought this guy in, <laughs> uh, to pair with Edward. No. Uh, nominally in a three-five-two, but even now that we're in a diamond playing two strikers, and we're just not seeing it. I... Remarkable. Yeah, the three-five-two th- actually was, was was successful, but it was almost exclusively used against the uh, the weaker teams. Uh, it was abandoned for both the Copenhagen games. Yep. And it, and and the, and the game against the Rangers as well. So um, it's very difficult to judge it on a comparative basis. It was successful in and of itself. In terms of the games that we that we played it in, but again, context is everything, as we keep saying. Um, and same with the whereas the diamond, you know, was effective against Lille and was effective against in in the derby game as well. Um, it was the decision making and the response to crisis that failed Celtic uh, in that game. Yeah, so I agree, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know what what's going on with the jetty, but. He's had a few seventy-minute runouts, but uh, very little uh, of a sort of sustain. You know, putting on Klamala again, putting on Klamala as the first first change last night made no sense to me. <laughs> when you when you could have put on a jetty, difficult pitch, physical team, you needed like you said, absolutely right. You needed presence centrally. That just made no sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm just looking for Celtic to play an actual striker as a striker. That's. <laughs> Listen, that, that, how, that's, how my, dare that's you. my wish list. I know. Yeah, I, I, imagine the, the gall of me to consider <laughs> that the club should be playing an actual striker in, in that position. Uh, just a heads up before we finish up that next week's podcast will be going out on the 20 Minute Tim's Patreon page as opposed to the, the usual places. So if you want to listen to that, we'll be doing a more broader look at the season so far. So if you want to be depressed next year, next week, essentially what I'm saying is listen to the Huddle Breakdown, get involved on the 20 Minute Tim's Patreon page, and we'll be sharing that out across the Huddle Breakdown pages as well. Um, if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, we've just hit 1,000 subscribers, so if you have, thanks very much for subscribing to the channel, and thanks to everyone who's listened to the podcast as well so far. We'll chat to you later.
Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. And now, during the Tempur-Pedic Summer of Sleep, all Tempur-Pedic mattresses are on sale, with savings up to $500 on adjustable sets. Get your best sleep, all night, every night. Learn more at TempurPedic.com. Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new Filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your Filtry air filters today at Filtry.com. Let's clear the air. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.